0: Tokyo tonight. is the Tonight.
1: Hey, oh, how are you? Very generous do- of you with the introduction. And the opening is do- <laughs> very strong, the visuals and everything in your opening Thank of the you. show. Very, very good.
2: Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I was. I realize we have to do a whole other show just to list all of your credits. <laughs> it's true.
1: <laughs> I'm very lucky to still be working at age 71. I'm kind of shocked. I never thought I'd be working this long, but I love it. Oh, man. You look amazing. Do you still enjoy it? I do. I am I started in 1967 in a show called My Three Sons. I had one day's yep. work, and I, I've been working ever since. And just, uh, oh, no. hey, I don't care if you're in the storm door industry or sell used cars. If you're working 54 years in any business, you're you're mm-hmm. lucky, I think.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Can I tell you, my mom's such a huge fan of My Three Sons, and I told her you were coming on the show, and she was like a school like, just giddy.
1: <laughs> but John, then, it's so sweet. John, would you tell her, give her my love, please give my best ab- to your mom
2: absolutely thank you so much
0: thank you
1: um
2: i'm excited to have you on the show because i i'm a big i i love learning about climate change i like learning about what can be done and i try to stay as uh as conscious of it as possible you're like steps ahead of everybody not only me i mean there's there's just there's too much it seems like but it seems like you've got a great handle on it um you have um new cleaning products that are plant safe animal safe which is huge for me because I'm a big animal guy. I've always had pets and, you know, always worried about cleaning products and cause I've, I've, I'm a cat guy and cats get into everything. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm just super interested. What, um, what made you, you know, have the impetus to start developing this kind of stuff.
1: Animals and kids had a lot to do with it for me. Cause you know, I've always had pets, cats and dogs and what have you, and their paws are on mm-hmm. the floor all the time. And they're licking their paws and little kids are crawling around the floor putting stuff in their mouth and, licking their hands or what have you, putting their toes in their mouth. And that's just the way yeah. kids and pets are. So you, you want to, use, and we've asked people, I've asked people to make their homes more energy efficient, seal them up, good insulation, put, you know, weather stripping mm-hmm. around, all that's great. But you don't want to have this waste site near your house. You certainly don't want it in your house under the sink where most people have all this toxic stuff, you know? So you want to have the most natural cleaners. That's one of the things I started in 1970. I got rid of all the toxic cleaners. I started using baking soda instead of, you know, Comet. I started using vinegar and water instead of, the, instead of the harsh cleaners. But a lot of that stuff, it cleans okay, but it doesn't clean great. So I wanted to launch a line of cleaning products that were earth-friendly and safe around pets and kids, but also clean very well. So it's Begley's Earth Responsible Products. You don't need to remember any of that. Just go to edbegley.com or go to Amazon look for Begley Cleaning. Two words, Begley Cleaning at Amazon or any other search engine you know, and you'll
2: find it. Yeah. And and that was cool too, because when, when I, when I, you know, when I had you coming on the show or whatever, I looked them up and they're really easy to find. You you don't have to go anywhere. Like you just said, it's super easy on Amazon, super easy on your website. And I was doing a little research on them too. I, I just like, cause I've used a ton of cleaning products. Obviously everybody has, and you've all done that thing where you're going to clean something and a little bit of it gets inside you and literally just makes you choke immediately. I feel like cleaning products should not do that to you. Not at
1: all. (laughs) Yeah, they're supposed to be. I, I mean, mean, I. I woke up to it when we were out there. We we're having a, a protest about a hazardous waste site, you know, in Love Canal. I'm mm-hmm. friends with some people that went to a military school there in Niagara Falls, you know, at a loose to New York, right near the falls. And so mm-hmm. I was protesting the hazardous waste site. I went, wait a minute. What about the hazardous waste site, you know, in our homes? You know, we I got to help people, you know, get to that place where they can get rid of that stuff, not just near their homes, but in their homes, under the sink. So yeah. I decided to look for and finally found some products that were clean and green. And uh, I've been working with that company ever since. It's called Lamply and they make great products.
2: That's incredible. I remember living in an apartment complex when I was younger and just finding out like the uh, shortcuts they would take, some of these people would take because I was sick or congested, or and then I started researching stuff online and realizing that they weren't using environmentally safe products in the walls, you know, for insulation or when I, they were going through. And it just—I didn't realize how much that actually makes you ill.
1: It can. It can make you quite sick, and a lot of people have chemical sen- sensitivity, extreme chemical sensitivity, and it can be really just de- debilitating for them. And so you want to use as much non-toxic paints and coatings and stay away from the formaldehydes and the toxic glues and the toxic paints and all that. And it's all possible nowadays. There's lots of great selections. Not, I'm not even going to really plug my cleaning products anymore. Go get some good seven-generation stuff too. It works great. Get some of these other mm-hmm. cleaning products. There's other great companies out there. If you want to buy mine, that's well. Thank mm-hmm. you. But there's other great cleaning products. Stay away from the toxic stuff and you know, get something that's clean and green and, uh, and you're going to be a lot happier
2: i want to ask you some questions about solar power because i would i feel like for a while and i could be wrong but for a while they were offering um plans to to or or for homes there were people that were used to come around and they used to help you kind of you know get paneling on your on your housing and stuff like that i live in new jersey um i remember that when i was younger and then suddenly it stopped and i feel like i there isn't that much you know um there isn't people offering some kind of a deal or some kind of free thing to do it. It seems to cost a fortune, especially where I live. Is there a reason that, it, that, that, they, that they stopped doing that kind of stuff? Or is there a way around that or something I could do to hopefully get solar paneling eventually back in my town?
1: My memory is, and I hope I'm right, hope I'm not getting this wrong, but in some states, they kept refilling the pot of money, the subsidies available to do that. I don't know that they've refilled that pot recently with funding for solar in Jersey. But in other states, I have. They keep doing and passing new laws and new laws and more money and more money in California so we can get to 100% green. But um, back in 1970, when I started, what I wanted was solar, you know, but I couldn't afford it. So I did all the cheap and easy stuff I could afford. Then there was 20 Mm. years later, two decades before I could afford solar electric. It was a decade and a half, 15 years before I could afford solar hot water. So I've had solar hot water since 85, solar. Electric since 1990, wow. and uh, it runs my house and charges my car now. For my gosh, what is that? That's 1990, thirty some odd years, and it? 31 years. I've yeah, had 31 uh, years. Wow, clean, green. And, you know, and in '85, I bought a wind turbine in the California desert as part of a wind farm. So I've really been on clean power by the amount of you know, re- you know, uh, offsetting my carbon footprint. I put mm-hmm. out 17 or 15 to 17 homes worth of power with that wind turbine, part of wind farm since 1985. So I've I've done my part for a few decades now and it's getting easier for everybody to do and I hope it's easy in every state.
2: Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, I would really love to get on that uh, bandwagon and, and, uh, and try to do that kind of stuff. Not only does it reduce your carbon footprint, but I would think what people don't understand is that over time, it actually winds up costing them less, doesn't it?
1: It does. If you do it right, you know, with the right subsidies and what have you, there's lots of uh, companies in different states that do it for no money down from you. It costs you nothing to do it. Basically, what they do is they lease you the solar system for your house. So you pay, let's say, $100 a month for the solar lease, but you save 120 a month on your electric bill. So you're putting 20 right. bucks a month in your pocket going I didn't spend $70,000 like that idiot Begley did back in the early 90s, you know, and I got as much solar as him, you moron, what right. are you doing? So some people can do and that's well, but uh, I own mine, so, uh, and now I got a new leaf platinum home, Rochelle wore me down finally, my wife wanted more closet space, so we <laughs> to that We'd, so we started, we'll, we'll give you a little bigger closet house, and finally with all the plans, and way they're getting bigger. We couldn't fit mm-hmm. that house that she wanted. And what I wanted was solar panels in a vegetable garden on our small lot in my home in Studio City. So we moved a mile east and we built what's called a lead Platinum Home. And lead is a rating system for homes, like miles per gallon for homes. And the silver nice. gold and then there's platinum way up here. And we did platinum. We, I got nine kilowatts of solar that I own. And I've got solar hot water, two, four by 10 solar panels for hot water. I've got solar for the pool. A 10,000 gallon oh. rainwater tank buried underground, a beautiful uh, raised bed vegetable garden, lots of fruit trees that are fed by gray water, and on and on. Everything about the house is clean and green, and it will save me money over my life and my kids' and my grandkids' life if they choose to live here.
2: Yeah. I, I got to tell you right now, I'm getting the impression that Egg Bagley Jr. Uh, is single-handedly holding the earth's environment together.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've had a small role I'm in it, but there's so many people doing so much more than me. Jane Goodall is a dear friend of mine, which she's done for the environment with her Roots and Shoots program and everything she's done scientifically about chimpanzees. It's been extraordinary. Yes. She's a hero to me. These women who got the air cleaner in LA, like Gladys Mead from the American Lung Association and Sabrina Schiller and these... Courageous women and Mary Nichols who kept cleaning up the air at every turn. We have four times the cars in LA since 1970, millions more people, but a fraction of the smog. That's a real success story. Wow. We proved yeah that, we that can is it incredible by cleaning up cars and cleaning up power plants and some guys helped like me, but it was mostly women that did it. I got to be honest, guys, they mm-hmm. did a great job and now yep. things are cleaner and greener. And uh, I'm very proud to be part of their team.
2: It's cool. I went online and you can actually see a time-lapse video of what LA used to look like versus what it looks like now so that right wh- wh- which is one of those things I wish people like more people could see because I feel like it's hard to wrap, you know, uh, everyone's brain around the concept of yes, incremental changes do wind up benefiting us and benefiting the society and cleaning up the air and all that other stuff. It's I feel like that information needs to get out there more and the news needs to really kind of push it.
1: You got to tell the good news stories, too. You know, it's not all just bad yep. news, doom and gloom. Now, let me, I hasten to add, even though we have cleaned up the air in most of LA, there's people around the ports of Los Angeles, the port of Long Beach, around shipping centers, fulfillment centers with lots of diesel trucks, where there's lots of air pollution there. They need to mm-hmm. get relief, too. We've made the right. air generally cleaner in LA, but the specific areas, we got to help those people and get to clean air everywhere. And we can do that. So we got more work to do. But we've proven that we can do it. You know, if you mm-hmm. think about technology and every everybody pulls together, you can save water, you can save energy, you can clean up the air. You know, we had a big problem with ozone depletion. You guys probably remember back when you were kids yep. in the 80s, you know, we had that big ozone hole and that hole mm-hmm. is not the same size, it's not bigger, it's smaller because we all banned CFCs and they said, yes. you can't do that. You won't be able to buy an air conditioner. You won't be able to buy refrigerators, refrigerators anymore. You can still buy a refrigerator. You can still buy air conditioner. They just change the kind of you know chemical compound that is used as a coolant. Like instead of Freon, it's a different chemical compound, and right. it didn't yeah. destroy the ozone the way the previous chemicals did. So we've proven that we can do big things, and we need to do more.
2: Yes, I, I completely agree. A few years ago, um, I don't remember what award show it was. It was probably the Oscars. But Jeff Bridges made this great speech about how it was. It was kind of you remember this one yeah it was like up to us and incremental changes or whatever uh, do you still feel I mean I, I don't know you know it was a few years ago do you still feel it could be shifted by the people by us as opposed to waiting for government to really get involved and push those steps I, I don't
1: I'm conflicted by that you're conflicted for good reason it's a, it's a sticky one because I this thing I focused on kind of personal action and that's part of it but these people out there again mostly women protesting these hazardous waste sites Mm-hmm. The activists that have stopped these pipelines and things, they're really yes. part of it too. So the three pillars that do it, personal action, like what I'm doing, and I'm also involved in the other two, thank God. Good legislation, like the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, and other mm-hmm. you know, things about greenhouse gas that we've done, and corporate responsibility. You need all three columns to write, you know equal size, otherwise it's, things are going to get wobbly. And so you mm-hmm. need to have personal action, good legislation, you know, and corporate responsibility. And they each interact with each other. If people are mm-hmm. buying, they want to buy, as I did, more energy-efficient light bulbs, that creates a market for them, and GE will start making them, and Panasonic will start making them, as they did. Yep. You've like got people like me wanting to buy solar panels. They're going to make cheaper and better solar panels. They're all mm-hmm. interrelated. We never would have cleaned up the air in L.A. with all of our actions and me riding a bike and all this stuff if we didn't have the Clean Air Act as our weapon to go to the Air Resources Board and say, we have to, by law, here's the law of the Clean Air Act and we need to clean it up. We couldn't have cleaned up the Cuyahoga River near Cleveland if we didn't have the Clean Water Act, both of which, by the way, were signed by an environmental radical by the name of Richard Nixon. You know, <laughs> you know <laughs> we, we, yeah. we, we, you know it's bad when you get people like Richard Nixon say, you know, we gotta clean up there. This is crazy. <laughs> he needed the Clean Water Act the first time, but the second right. time around, then he signed the Clean Water Act too. So yeah, I mean we can do this. Proving it should be a nonpartisan issue bipartisan. Absolutely. Issue. We can do it. My dad was a conservative that liked to conserve. We turn off the lights, we turn off water, we save string, we save tinfoil. You know, he was a son yeah. of Irish immigrants. He lived in the Great Depression. So all this green stuff that I, uh, I got from him, a guy from the other side of the aisle for me. And I love my dad. Yeah. He's a great dad and a great actor. And I miss him.
2: Soon. Yes, your dad's I, I was I was just telling it, your dad's incredible, and he's had he had an amazing career as well. And it's cool to see that your dad was a good because my stepdad was very, very conservative, but also understood that yep. these steps need to be taken, and that kind of stuff needs to be done. And I feel like it's not a foreign concept for this issue to be bipartisan. only in the last obviously four years did it become this bizarre kind of, you know, disinformation and and you know yelling at the other side and trying to say it's a hoax and all that of stuff. Do you feel I mean, obviously, there's a sense of more being more confident now that Biden's in office because it's just kind of a return to sanity to some extent. Yeah,
1: there's a long history of Teddy Roosevelt creating the national park system. We want to get these clean air rules passed. We go to Sherry Bowler, a Republican or John Chafee or Lincoln Chafee, these Mm -hmm. people who would help us from the other side of the aisle because it was important. George Bush, the first, you know, George Bush, he got the acid rain tackled in a meaningful way of legislation that dealt with acid rain. You know, yeah. and that's the way it should be. We should be working together on this because there's no Republican kids or Democrat kids It's just kids should be breathing clean air. Business people want to breathe clean air and Republicans right. and Democrats want to breathe clean air. So we should all work together to achieve those things because long-term it's going to make us money. I certainly accept when they say, well, there's lots of jobs on oil rigs and refineries and coal mines. Mm-hmm. This is true. But aren't there also jobs making wind turbines and solar panels and light and energy efficient HVAC units and good insulation and energy saving thermostats and energy efficient light bulbs? Of course, there are. There's jobs yeah. making those things too. And we need to transition, never leaving the workforce out in the cold. You always want to take care yeah. of the workers and make sure that they are ready to transition to new jobs and proper training programs so they can be transitioned from other jobs. And, and uh, that's, that's key to it. You know, you want to leave yeah. the workforce, you know, in a strong position. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. And I always thought that was such BS when they talk about how, you know, there. I mean, there. like you said, it's true. There are all these jobs in oil rigs, but they're also jobs making the environmentally friendly stuff because we in the job market, just in general, we've created so many jobs that don't even need to exist. I used to have, when I, when I was a, when I was working real a day job, back in before, you know, uh, doing standup or whatever, I had five different managers, five, they didn't all need to have jobs, but they made excuse, you know, they made up titles for people because people need to work. And it's so ridiculous to me when they go, well, you know, these oil rig guys, they're not going to have any, that's ridiculous. At least make it up. Then if you don't (laughs) feel like, you know, we're doing it anyway, (laughs) you know, people have these remedial, meaningless jobs sometimes in, in like low level positions, do it for them then too. There's, there's stuff to go around.
3: We have and so many positive comments coming through, too, that that people are saying, you know, uh, nice. just how the shingles are getting, it's getting more efficient with the solar panels, where it mm. went from being such a giant thing. Now we have shingles that you can change into. And yeah. then somebody was asking, tearing down the rainforest and deforestation, uh, what are your views on that? He, they feel like it's crazy what's happening.
1: My contribution to that years ago, back in the the 80s, when I started to hear about it, was to remain committed to something I did back in 1970. I became a vegetarian, I stopped eating meat. And a lot of mm-hmm. those rainforest you know, uh, areas were taken down to uh, raise cattle. So I tried to, you know, I was successful in not having a hand in that. Then I heard about the palm oil, you know, where they were taking down the rainforest in Borneo and elsewhere so that they could, you know, have a plantation for palm oil. So i read the labels and stay away from palm oil and any formulas and what have you. I try to do that so we all have a everything's connected you know we have to do that. i want to say one more thing about the the thing with the oil rigs and all of that those are also sure. dangerous jobs 11 people sadly tragically died in that deep water horizon oil rig i think that was 2011 i believe it was yes. the same year 19 people died at massey coal you know mm-hmm. i don't want us to have any more people die so we can have cheap energy you know agreed. it's always getting cheap and winds getting cheaper and with good battery power, you know, uh, what have you, and other ways of storing energy, there's many ways to store energy. Batteries are just one of them. And, and you know, we can, have, we can have power when the lights go out, you know, at nighttime and what have you, when the sun goes down and what have you, uh, we can certainly continue to have power. And it's possible. I've proven it here. I have two big Tesla power walls hooked up to this house. So I have solar during the day, of course, and I have it at night because of the the power walls, and they also save off my peak power usage to save me money. It's just a good mm-hmm. financial thing to have that kind of battery backup. I haven't bought an expensive kilowatt hour, that is to say, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. in I don't know how many years. I just don't have to buy it because I got battery backup. So wow. there's ways to do right. it that save you money. And I'm because of my dad, God bless him, you know, I'm a very conservative financially, and I'm very careful about money. I never wanted to waste it.
2: That's, uh, that's incredible. And I, uh, I'm going to have to ask you for your help with that after the show, because I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I I'm just not good with any of that. Um, speaking not of, so speaking help. of like Tesla, thank you. <laughs> speaking of Tesla cars and stuff, is there, do you see, um, a point in time where those are going to be affordable to people, um, for everybody? Cause Tesla, you know, every, I feel like if people had you know, affordable access to those kind of vehicles and stuff like that. you wouldn't be stopping anybody from getting them same way with like um like i'm a i i try i I was a vegetarian for three years and then fell off the wagon cause I'm a terrible person um and no, then I've no, tried no, to no. be <laughs> I've tried to be and I've tried to you know I'm going to eventually become vegan. I know it, but it's just it, it, you know it's just a it's just a process when I'm on the road See, doing stand up and stuff it's. Of
3: Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Sorry, go ahead. Uh, do what you can. You know, just maybe one day a week at first, maybe two, build up the three. Do what you can when you can. I'm not a hardcore guy that gets in people's face about what they put on the plate. If I did, you know, what people drive and the house they live in, I wouldn't have any friends if I judged people by their diet, their houses, <laughs> their cars. So yeah. I love my friends, and everybody does what they can.
0: And mm-hmm, I couldn't absolutely. afford
1: all the years ago. I couldn't afford a Tesla until a year and a half ago. I bought a Tesla as my late in life kind of wow. gift to myself. I was doing a TV yeah. series and I could afford it. I would buy wow. a Nissan Leaf, you know, and had that for a while. That was a fairly mm-hmm. reasonable car, not super cheap, but it was mm-hmm. you know, like 30 some odd thousand dollars for that car. And right. a good electric car. Before that I had the EV1, which I leased. Before that I had a Toyota RAV4 electric. But before that, back in the early nineties when I was really broke, I bought an electric car for $1,700, I'm going to repeat that, 1700 Wow. A guy was selling wow. it in Illinois. It was a kit car. He'd taken a 73 Subaru and converted to electric. So let me be clear, that it's a top speed of about, about 40 miles an hour. It took four blocks to get up to 40 miles an hour. So I, <laughs> uh, oh, let me go further back. In 1970, I had a Taylor Dunn electric car. Now when I say car, by wow. grand. We're talking about a golf cart with a windshield wiper and a horn. It didn't have a steering wheel. It had a tiller. So... You know, I've had, uh-huh. very, and that car was $950. So when I was a struggling actor and for years thereafter, thereafter you know, I had very inexpensive cars, you know, uh, for many, many years. And finally, late in life, when I was semi-retired and, you know, working a lot still, thank God, I could afford to buy a fancy car like like I did with a the, with the Tesla a year and a half ago. But do what you can. There's inexpensive cars out there that are plug-in hybrids and pure electrics. And there's some used electrics that are out there that are pretty good buys and, you know, do what you can. Nobody should be expected to go into debt doing any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you want yeah. to do what you can afford and nothing more. Which is That's such awesome. a
3: sensible statement, right? I feel yes. like people feel like that it's too expensive to do, but it's just like you said, it's attainable. If you look into it, I feel like it's, and sometimes it's more, it makes more financial sense to be on right. the right In 1970, side.
1: 1970, when I started, I was a broken, struggling actor. My dad had just died. Few days or from the first Earth Day. And I did everything that I could. I wanted solar panels, but I knew I couldn't afford them. 1970 solar panels were hard to find and super expensive. But I could mm-hmm. ride my bike. I could ride the bus. I could become a vegetarian. I could use baking soda instead of comet. I could use vinegar and water instead of Formula 409. You know, everything that I did to turn the thermostat down in the winter, up in the summer, all that stuff, cheap and easy stuff. I saved dough right away. And kept moving up the ladder as I saved more money. Pretty soon, I could afford a solar oven. Pretty soon, I could afford a rain barrel to collect some rainwater. And it took me 15 nice. years from the first birthday till I could afford solar. And still, not solar electric. It was solar hot water I could afford in '85. Then 20 years after the first birthday, when I started, I could then finally afford in 1990. I could afford solar electric, and I've had it ever since.
2: Wonderful! That's incredible.
1: Do what you can, um,
2: folks. Yeah, I, that's very that's a that's a great message. Um, because it does some sometimes feel like a little bit overwhelming where you're just like, I'm either not doing enough, or I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. Because even like when, when my friend and I are out on the road, she's uh, a great comic, and you know we'll go out, we'll travel together all the time. She's vegetarian, and I feel like when I'm with her, I'm like, okay, this is what we're gonna do, and she'll. She finds great places when we're on the road just to eat like, uh, uh, impossible burgers or, um, beyond burgers or like anything like that. So I'm super, super good about it when I'm with her. And then when I'm by myself at like two o'clock in the morning, I'm like, I'm starving. I got to stop at a fast. Like,
1: <laughs> I'm just like, I can't do this. I don't know what to eat. Um, no, no, are perfect. You do what you can. But nowadays they yeah. have those impossible burgers. I think at Carl's Jr. and Places like that. Yes. So, Burger King.
2: Yeah.
1: Burger, Burger King. That's him. right. It's amazing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. I even got them. I'm so glad they started selling them at the supermarket next to me. Uh, and I can just grill them now on the on the grill or whatever. I'm like, oh, it's so good. I um, felt
3: like a difference in energy, like physical energy from being more plant-based yeah. than being me- like I, we, me and my wife did it. She was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis a couple of years back. So oh, I was like, cool. I read up on it. And I was like, for neurological, plant-based is so much better. Keeps you way healthier. So I was like, let's just give it a shot. So we started it for two weeks. That turned into... We did it for a good year and a half and felt great. And then I fell off the wagon and I'm like, I got to get back on this. And I've just started to like, same thing, like ease out of the meats and this and that. Cause your body physically fe- feels it. You
1: That's know, I good. feel like it, Send your wife good vibes. Tell her I'll be thinking of her and I hope she stays nice and healthy.
3: Absolutely. Knock on wood with blessed. Like she's doing very well. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I love that
2: you're a cyclist too. You advocate for bicycling. I bike everywhere. Uh my friends and I always talk about like one of my friends and I bike like all the time. He lives up north. I live down south or whatever, but I try to bike like ten miles a day. And even if I need to go to the store or whatever like that, I take my bike to do it. Such an easy thing to do. And I feel like that's a baby step in the right direction to just keeping environmentally, you know, friendly.
1: it's one of the most energy efficient means of ground transportation man has ever invented. You can argue correctly, I suppose, that a sailboat is more energy efficient. You can sail around the world in that on mm-hmm. wind. Well laid. <laughs> but can... but th- yeah. there's no other form of ground transportation that is as energy efficient. What I mean by that is you can't make enough ethanol or methanol or anything out of an ear of corn and a bowl of rice to go 30 mm-hmm. miles. But you can make enough energy for a human by eating an ear of corn and a bowl of rice to go 30 miles that will get to right. 30 miles bowl of rice and an ear of corn will do that for any yeah. combination there of a veggie burger you you slice and dice it any way you want to get to that portion of food you can't mm-hmm. you need a bushel of corn to make enough ethanol to go 30 miles that's just what you need it's the way it works yeah. but right it's very energy efficient riding a bicycle and so uh something i always try to do even in my advanced years i don't ride as i used to over to santa monica from studio city at the drop of a hat or I don't ride up to Ojai from Studio City as I used to, but I ride some nice rides and I ride around for errands and chores and what have you. And I like it. It's a good way to get around as a codger. Oh, yeah, it's (laughs) it's the
0: (laughs) best.
2: Um, I'd love to get your opinion on this kind of thing, because I feel like this is a huge debate. It's been going on for a while and again, this is one of those things that I'm kind of torn by. So cryptocurrency has become uh, incredibly huge thanks to, you know, obviously Elon Musk messing with the system and and doing whatever the hell he does. Um, but he, um, he, you know, he's been kind of talking about it. But there's a lot of talk about the amount of energy it consumes. Um, and then, but versus the way we mine for gold. I'm curious, you get your opinion on, you know, maybe um i guess what what would be the term that you would call it a necessary a temporary um set maybe like a, a two steps back kind of a thing where like yeah cryptocurrency uses a lot of energy but 74% of it is reusable right and right now they're trying to get it to 100% obviously and they're saying that over time that it will become that as opposed to when you when people mine for gold and what we use now with you know the gold standard there's there's uh risks to people's you know, livelihood to their to their own lives, and the amount of uh, terrain we disrupt and everything. Do you have any opinion on on that kind of a thing, or or what one's better than the other? Or?
1: I've never invested in any, in any cryptocurrency myself because of I've heard about some of those energy challenges and what have you. And, yes, uh, it's certainly true that gold mining is a very you know destructive process and what have you. Lots of harsh chemicals right. used to mine for gold, so I'd steer clear of that. I don't have any gold in a safe deposit box or anything. And we're no it's longer on, you know, a dollar bill used to be called a silver certificate. It said it was worth a certain amount of silver stored somewhere. Mm-hmm. Gold the same, but they don't really, international monetary funds and the Federal Reserve, none of that really has much to do with gold anymore. But uh, right. I would, I hope they make it cleaner because I know a lot of people uh, believe in cryptocurrency and I'm I'm in a wait and see mode myself to see how it goes with the cleaner energy to manage it. And all of that and how volatile it is just as an investment, but uh, mm-hmm. if they can make it cleaner, which as we all who, three of us who sit here know you can make energy more energy efficient and cleaner. So yes. I hope they do that with that and everything else we're using energy on.
3: Right. It's very interesting that Elon Musk, who is a, such a big proponent in Tesla and clean energy and clean driving, is also a proponent, is also such a proponent of Cryptocurrency, which is such a drain on the energy system, which is yeah. it, it, almost baffling, right? So hopefully he could
2: find a yeah, way.
1: To, yeah, I'm trying to <laughs> reconcile that myself. I'm trying to figure out what's going on there. Yeah, so. it is
2: kind of it is kind of confusing because on one hand, you know, you there, there's people who are like, "Hey, look, this is actually going to better the environment," and then on the other hand, you have morons like running cryptocurrency machines in an old volcano. You know, <laughs> and you're just like, I, what? <laughs> <I know. laughs> what? What do they just do? <laughs> I'm like, oh, it, it it kills me. Um, the uh, uh, the other thing I was I was curious about too is you have your your garden is fascinating. You did something with it that nobody's ever done before. Uh, could you talk about a little bit of that?
1: I have a great garden. I've got raised beds, a lovely garden that I uh, grow a lot of my food in, and uh, also I've got a gray water system where I have all the water that comes from the tub, the shower, mm-hmm. and the laundry. And all that instead of being what they call black water, which is water from a garbage disposal or from a toilet, that's you know sludge basically that's hard to process. But you people yeah. process it in the municipalities all across the land, across the country, in the world. But gray water is very easy to process. You just let it run without restraining it. You let it run. These are the most efficient systems that I found with gray water. You let it flow by gravity down to these mulch pits around your trees. If you have fruit trees, which I do. And then mm-hmm. it works very well. Gray water works very well with stone fruit uh trees if you want if you're growing trees with it. And that's what I do. And it, it filters through the, the mulch and what have you. And it doesn't, you know, you can't use it around lettuce and things like that, obviously. You could have some right. gray water on the lettuce when you're done, and then you get very sick. But uh for <laughs> right. trees what have you, it's perfect. So that's what I that's how I water all my trees is through excess water, recycle water and As I think I mentioned earlier, I have a 10,000 gallon rainwater tank buried underground, and that's loaded by gravity in the rainwater tank. Then there's a submersible pump in the tank that pumps it up to a bladder, you know, a, uh, you know, a, uh, there's another name for expansion tank, and that gives it pressure. So when you turn on the valve, it's like you do with a regular hose bib anywhere in America. You turn on the valve with your hose, and that's coming out. It's basically rainwater from six months before. And wow. so it's it's mm-hmm. a lovely system, and you can fill it up even in a drought year. People say, oh, "I love that you, got your rain tank," but we've had a drought here. Even with like two inches of rain, you fill up a ten thousand gallon tank easy and if you have enough space wow. on your roof, which I do. I have a lot of space, mm-hmm. so it's very good for that. To be honest, I wish I had room and I wish I'd had the money put in two tanks because eventually, come you know July or August, I'm out of the rainwater from when we last had it in April or May. So I'm now using city water, but uh, I got lots of months of free water, if you will. And we can do that throughout LA. We can save a lot of water and saving water also saves energy because it costs a lot of electricity, uses a lot of electricity to pump it up over the Tehachapi Mountains or other mountains coming from, you know, the Central Valley, other places we get water from. And so uh, saving water saves energy and uh, it's a good way to go a good way to garden too. And it's a non-toxic garden. And I'm always growing something year round. That's the nature of California. You can grow year round.
2: Yeah, the beauty of it. Um, I love that. Uh, uh, so, do you, do you see? Are uh, you very optimistic? I feel like about because I mean, I think if you if you dive too deep sometimes into climate change and the environment, you know, I've heard people say we've got you know thirty years tops, <laughs> you know, left, which is not which is not a great you know feeling when you especially if you've got like kids and stuff like that, or you got people, you know. got kids but i feel like you're very optimistic with that do you feel like there's a there's a good chance we'll be able to reverse this kind of stuff over the year you know over the years because i live i was lived in new jersey for a while and um i lived in arizona california new jersey new york or whatever but we've had more tornadoes here than i ever met. i mean we never had them when i was a kid and in the last week we've had five and they're you know they're they're kind of small i mean they're not like ripping up Mm -hmm. you know houses just yet but you know I, we've seen them go down the streets or whatever we don't have basements it's, like i got i get an alarm on my phone at like four thirty in the morning that's like seek shelter and i'm like i live on the shore i have no shelter <laughs> like, I have. but it's a it's a, do you think that's gonna be something that we all wind up having to live with and we'll just stave it back a little bit or do you think we could com- go back to like zero again
1: you know just as i said earlier i don't want to constantly be focusing on bad news I don't mm-hmm. want to be accused and to be rightly accused by saying e- everything's going to be fine, you know, because that's right, not right, true right. either. It's somewhere mm-hmm. in between. That is to say, we can still save a lot if we act soon. And I mean by yeah. soon, I mean now. F- yeah. There's going to be stuff, that, there's stuff in the pipeline right now as regards CO2 and the loss of coral reefs and other stuff, species loss that have happened already. Are going to happen with what the, the amount of warming in the ocean and other challenges that we face. There's stuff, no matter what we do, that's going to happen. But don't you want to save what's left, the other half? Yes. We need to do everything yeah. we can to save. Let's call it the other half. Maybe it's the other two thirds. Maybe it's the other four fifths. I, I don't know that it's yeah. going to be that high, but maybe right. it's the, the last fifth or two fifths you know, that we'll be saving somewhere in there. Let's say, for sake of argument, half that we can still save of coral reefs and other stuff that we rely on. There's a web of life that supports us all. If you don't give a damn about spotted owls because of spotted owls and what they're supposed to be, I mean, to, to, to us, yeah. do it for your own good. Don't let the canary die in the coal mine and say, I'm not going to pay any attention to that. There's a web of life that supports us all. And all that mm-hmm. land out there that people think is wasted because it doesn't have a strip mall on it, you know, or a, you know, a factory It's out there. It's the real factories that we need to live on, to survive, to have clean water, clean air, you know, healthy food. All that's very important by having that web of life that supports us all. And any smart tinkerer saves all the pieces. You know, you don't want to pull a clock apart and go, well, I don't think I need this gear anymore. You need all those pieces. And so we have to begin to do that. You know, the idea of taking down the Smithsonian building in Washington, D.C., because there's a good market for bricks. I don't think that is something that would fly. People would rightly, I know i wanted one of them to be out there protesting. This is a beautiful old building has been around for many years. I know there's a good market for big bricks. Let's not take down the Smithsonian, though. That's right. what we're doing with our natural, our native forests. Quit taking down the native forests because there's a good market for timber. There's other ways to build houses you know, with other materials. I built my house out of steel. And I know steel has really? pollution in wow. the manufacture thereof. But there's a lot of energy used to cut down a tree, to ship a tree, to kiln dry a tree to there's a lot of energy. And the great thing about steel is it's 65% post-consumer recycled. That is to say, what used to be a frying pan was once a car. What used to be a car is now a frying pan. You know, that's right. why they have those wow. giant magnets and in, in, you know, those uh, big recycling yards and junkyards. They have those big magnets for a reason. They're mining right. ore in America, in the junkyards of America, they're mining iron ore that's already been refined. It's not just wow. ore anymore, it's actual steel that takes energy to melt, I'm aware of that, I'm not unaware of that, <laughs> but it's, just, it's less energy than going out and digging and doing it all again and you know, getting iron ore and refining it and putting it in the larger ovens and doing more work to make it into a frying pan or a car. The right. same way, that's why, re, that's why aluminum cams are one of the big success stories with recycling. They can afford to pay that much for an aluminum can for deposit because it's so valuable. Rather than go to mine some bauxite in Jamaica, wherever you get your bauxite and ship it here and refine and do all that, just mine it in the alleys of America and the curbs of America and make it into new aluminum with a lot less energy expended. And that's that's why they do it. That's why it's a success story. It just makes more sense from an engineering Physical standpoint. Stuff.
2: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that, uh, it's. Just, I love the information that you're giving out because that's what people need to hear. That's one of the things that I wanted to learn about and needed to hear more of because I didn't know half of that stuff. Uh, huh. <laughs> so thank you for doing that. I love, by the way, the. I think in the. I'm looking at the background of your office right now. I'm assuming you're in your office. I love the Oscar just hanging out. Oh,
0: that's uh, my
1: father's Oscar. Where is it over there? I yeah, <laughs> right the there, you you don't it, know over there. Let me get oh, out nope. of the way. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did. Oh, That's so my father's Oscar. He won it for Sweet Bird of Youth. That yep. was a wonderful movie with Paul Newman and Geraldine Page. He was also uh, in 12 Angry Men, a great movie called 12, 12, I 12 love Angry Men. Great yeah. classic film. Great yep. actors in that film. But he left me in his will. He left me his Academy Award. Uh, he must have really liked me. I'm so grateful for that. What a, <laughs> a great thing. <laughs> I didn't know he liked me. <laughs> <laughs> he actually loved me, I suppose, and I loved him. He was a great dad and a great actor. So I, I have his Tony Award and I have his Oscar and many other awards he he won and a few that I won too. And I'm, I'm very lucky to be his son and to still be working in his business. That's why I became an actor because I wanted to do what he did.
3: That's wow. very sweet,
1: man. That's awesome. Could have
3: been that or it could have been you have the same name. So I was like, ah, eh, somebody's got to use it." <laughs> that's right. It was a smooth transition. <laughs> <You> just <laughs> um you, you mutter the
2: mutter the junior part of it and you're like, oh, "That's ugly." <laughs> that's right. Oh. That's incredible. Do you have So I I, I got to tell you this story, man, because I I it's hilarious to me. So I had a couple months ago, I had Mike Farrell on the show. Oh, I love and him. Me, me too. He's great. We did. We, we, uh, he, he came on twice. He was, he was amazing. And, um, and then he was just asking me casually who was coming on next. So I had Ed Asner coming on right after Mike. So Mike goes, I love Ed Asner. I'm a good, good friend. Of, he's a good friend of mine. Tell Ed that I said, hi. I said, absolutely. I'll tell Ed that you said, hi. Ed Asner comes on the show. I'm completely unaware of how hilariously surly he can be. So one of the first things I say is I was like, "Hey, by the way, Mike Farrell came on the show. He told me to tell you he loves you and to say hello." And Ed goes, "Fuck him."
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's Ed's- I was just like, "What the <laughs> You'll never so, sugarcoat it. Yeah, so then so then, so then <laughs> so
2: Mike Farrell calls me the other day, asks me about, you know, how the show went with Ed or whatever. I tell him what he said, he's cracking up. And then I was like, yeah, Ed Asner said a bunch of nice stuff, too. So then he goes, well, who, who else do you have coming up? And I said, I have Ed Bagley Jr. coming on. And he goes, I love Ed Bagley Jr. Tell him I said hello. And I went, really?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I <laughs> and he goes, yeah, and he goes. Hey, Not only do I love yeah. him, he's my neighbor, he lives like right around the corner. Oh, here. oh, and no way. That's guy. great. Yeah. He and Chili are well, wonderful just... people. They're great neighbors. They're great, great people.
2: Yeah, they were lovely to tell. He's been he, last <clears throat> last time I spoke to him. He was like, Let me know when you're in LA, when you're back in California, when I'm when I'm back on tour. I'll be back out there in the fall. But I just wanted to you know, pass it along and make sure if you had anything to say to him that you wanted me to relay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell me tell I love
1: him. Him and tell him, tell him to come on by and have a cup of coffee soon. I love them. They're great neighbors and great friends, great citizens, both of them.
2: Yes yeah 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 amazing but Bo- all of you i love that i get to talk i mean I, it's really been i've been <clears throat> i'm a huge you know political guy i've been to protests i've gotten you know this i've said this a million times on the show people are tired of it but i won't go into the story but i gotten detained by secret service uh, uh of well, you know protesting uh uh bush's second term <laughs> <laughs> um when i was 19 but i love i love getting to talk to you guys and you know i mean it's you've you've been inspirations to me and um all your environmental work and your activism and stuff but just your career as an actor man is so incredible you've been in, i mean i wasn't even kidding when i said before it would take a whole other show to list your credits um is i just wanted to ask you a little bit about your career is there something in particular that you're because you have done so much i mean obviously St. elsewhere you got you know nominated for a, a whole you know slew of Emmys for that, a Golden Globe nomination. You've been in a ton of movies. Um, is there something in your career at this point that you that you love looking back on fondly, that you just a
1: role that you really enjoyed? There's a few answers to that question. I'll give them to you. The best mm-hmm. running job had a lot of life to it that lasted a long time. It's right there. Sorry, over here. Uh St. Elsewhere. Mm-hmm. A great, great show that I loved doing for many, many years. St. Elsewhere was a great job with great people, with Denzel who's featured prominently there, and David yeah. Morrison, Bill Daniels, and Ed Flanders, great actors, great actresses, Bonnie Bartlett and Christina Pickles, excellent people, mm-hmm. all of them. That was the greatest sustaining job. The the work I'm proudest of would be uh, in those Chris Guest movies, uh, Best in Show and A Mighty Wind. And Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap, even though I have a small part in it, it's, mm-hmm. The movie is so great. you know. Yes. I have a small part in The In-Laws too, but it's such a great movie with Peter Falk and Alan Arkin. It's on yeah. the top of my list for movies I've been in. One of my top uh, favorite movies. Thank you. I just love that movie too. And, and of mm-hmm. course, this is Spinal Tap, still a classic. And all the Chris Guest movies are so wonderful to be in and to watch. But working with Meryl Streep was one of the highlights of my life as an actor, to work with her for such yes, a treat in, in She-Devil. In uh,
2: She-Devil, yeah. And I was going to ask you, what was it who what was it like uh, being fought over by Roseanne Barr and Meryl Streep in the same movie?
1: It was so much fun. Doing a movie like that is fun, and both of them are so funny. They're brilliant comedians, both of them. Mm-hmm. great uh, Meryl is, of course, a great dramatic act- actress, but just a brilliant comedian, too. She's so funny and smart. We had a great mm-hmm. time making the movie. And then, uh, you know... Uh, You know, I I worked for Roseanne, too, on uh, some episodes of her show after that. Not episodes, plural, just one now that I think of it. But but I I just love those ladies and the work with them. And to work with my dear friend for many years, Jack Nichols, to work with him and Going South was an incredible treat. To work with Bob Hoskins, a treat beyond words. I worked with Bob Hoskins, Michael Haynes, and John Lithgow in a movie uh, called World War II when Lions Roared. It was an NBC movie. Yeah. Uh, a mini series. And it was just wonderful. So I've worked with great people and I'm um, continuing to have a great time doing these shows over the years, like Medical Saul and mm-hmm. uh, Arrested yeah. Development and uh, oh. Six Feet Under. And I just, I, I just blessed that I get to work on these shows I'm working on now.
2: You are brilliant on Curb Your Enthusiasm, by the way.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I love that show. That's one of my so good. favorite shows ever. Larry is just such a genius. He I met him back on the show Fridays back in 1980, he's just wow. an amazing talent. He's always and then on Saturday Night Live when I hosted the show in '84, he was one of the <laughs> writers. And fortunately, his sketch finally made it to the air show. You know, made it to the uh, the final cut and what have you when they did the full show. And uh, uh. just hysterically funny that segment that he wrote for Saturday Night Live. Nineteen eighty-four was every bit as funny as any scene from Seinfeld or any curb or anything. He was always mm-hmm. brilliant from the get-go, and finally, America and the people in broadcasting woke up to it.
2: Wow! Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love the story of him quitting SNL. It was basically worked its way into Seinfeld. Uh, the you know, when he said he had the outburst and uh, and he quit, and then he realized what he had done, and he came back to work the next day like nothing happened. <laughs> it's just amazing. Right. amazing. He's um, amazing. Is it, do you like, so, I mean, uh, cause you're, you're comedically, you're absolutely, you're brilliant in everything. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the show, but like, really, like as far as like dramatic acting roles go, it, it, you can't be topped. And also you're very, very good with comedy and you're very, very good around other comedians and just letting them be themselves. And you're hilarious in your own right. Is it one of those things that you find that you have to turn something off to do one or the other? Or do you, do you do that kind of like a natural flow? Like this is a comedy. I'm going to play
1: it how it should be played and, and vice versa. It's kind of the same in the doing. That is to say, you have to find the truth for it to be either dramatically compelling or to be funny. But the difference is there's no wiggle room with comedy. It's either funny or it isn't. Dramatic. Mm-hmm. Well, that was an interesting choice. I can see what he was thinking there. And now that movie right. that uh, there's like six different ways that can be. There's a laugh where there isn't in the comedy. The <laughs> yes. Very. Immediate, there's no like mm-hmm. you know, that's just the way it is. Uh, but uh, there was a guy, his name was I'll think of his name Roy, Roy London, Roy London, mm-hmm. yes, Roy London, very talented acting coach. And he worked with a lot of good people. and I worked with him on this show back in 1993, I guess it was, doesn't matter, let's say 93. And mm-hmm. so I was working with him, and one day we're working on some scenes to get them right before I went and shot them. With this acting coach Roy London, he said, You know, Ed, you know what I think is the most. Here's a good thing to think of when you start to outline the script and work on your character. The most interesting thing I think to watch is how a character deals with pain. Okay, let's go to the wow. top of the scene and do it. And I thought, Well, that's a big bunch of bullshit I've ever heard. Oh, I want to see a guy in pain. I'm in pain. Oh, oh, my stomach hurts and my veins hurt. And I, what about then? i driving home and I thought, no, no idiot. That's not what he said. He didn't say to watch a character in pain, how a character deals with pain. <laughs> how Meryl yeah. Streep and Sophie's Choice keeps a lid on the thing till you realize what her character's choice was, what Sophie's Choice, in fact, was.
0: Right, And what's right. going on
1: with her the whole movie. To see Laurel and Hardy carry a piano down the stairs and fall carrying a goddamn piano down the stairs <laughs> and then a the piano falls on top of them? <laughs> That's- Yes. It's hysterically funny, but they're in pain. It's how yes. they deal with pain. And you think of every slapstick comedy, a guy slipping on a banana peel or any of that stuff, any of it, dramatic or comedy, how a character deals with pain, and you get to see a little bit of it between the reeds, between the bushes. Yeah. You, you get to see the character try to keep the lid on it. You know, Denaro in Mean Streets and the early work, the guy after he's been shot, try to walk and keep walking along after he's been shot and all that stuff and everything, right. you know, he did. I mean, you... It's walking Phoenix to see pick any character that he's ever done in any movie. How his character deals with the pain of what he's going through in the story of anything Joaquin Phoenix does, and yeah. you'll see it's Roy London was a genius. It's absolutely true how a character mm-hmm. deals with pain is compelling to watch, comedy or drama. Yeah. And the more you keep that real and the media, so you shock the audiences. Meryl did in her work, and and as yeah. Bob De Niro did in his work, and as Joaquin Phoenix is does in his work and his, you know, these other wonderful actresses, Kate Blanchett, you know, just these incredible yeah. people do. It's just it's beautiful to watch how our character deals with pain, and the great directors like Martin Scorsese and others know that too. The great comedy right. directors like you know Christopher Guest know it too, and Mitch Hurwitz uh, knows it on Arrested Development and those shows. Oh yeah! Oh you know? my God! How our character deals with pain is quite universal, and it's a good thing to know as actor. I figured it out in 1993 with Roy London's help. wish somebody had said it earlier. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> one of our one of our followers, one of our audience members, she's an actress and a big fan of yours, Jessica Vitale, said, Greedy, she still owns the videotape and watches it all the time from, with you in it. And she said, Bless, this mess would make us cry with how honest and transparent you are in that role. Just stole every scene with how sweet and funny you are. That was bless her comment.
1: Her, oh, bless her heart. Tell her, thank you. I thank her right now. If she's listening. She's That's listening. Great. Absolutely. I love that show. Bless this mess. Lake Bell did this wonderful show with Dak Shepard. Just this amazing, amazing show. And, uh, me and Pam Greer were in it. Just, um, uh, oh. just amazing. The best time I've ever had in television. I can't remember when just, uh, amazing show it was on for two seasons. So I'm very lucky to have been part of that. And, uh, just tell her thanks so much i'll thank her myself again because i know she's listening That's very. she just
3: sent all hearts and thanked yeah (laughs) thanks back but
1: absolutely that's awesome
3: yeah
2: i love that pam greer is is amazing too she's another uh, actress that i just when, when it's between like like you and a bunch of other people that i know and pam greer i love going to a movie or going to going to see a tv show and when one of you walks into a scene i'm like oh this is gonna be great because you just love that person and you love their work
1: Thank you to put me in that crowd with Pam Greer. She is a goddess. To work with her was a treat beyond description. To work two years with her up this close, you know, in lots of scenes Mm -hmm. and what have you, to do funny scenes and dramatic scenes and wonderful stuff with her. I just was blessed. It's just uh, the best time I've had in the show, you know, since St. Elsewhere, and that's a, a high bar to hit.
2: Wow. Wow. That's incredible. I got to ask you about your animation stuff too, because you've done voiceover work. Two episodes of The Simpsons, which were so good. The episodes that you were in. Did you? Was it? Do you? Do you? I feel like you're very easy to poke fun at yourself when you when you need to, and I and I love that because I feel like that makes it more approachable, especially when you know, uh, with activism stuff, you know what I mean? Like if people feel like you're, you know, you're serious about this topic, but you also don't take yourself that seriously, it makes it more palatable to digest. Did you realize that kind of going into the Simpsons because they have the Ed Bagley solar car. And I remember yeah. in that episode, it was, oh, uh, it was, it ran on your self-satisfaction, which is just right. a beautiful joke. My
1: own sense of self-satisfaction. That's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> you got to have a sense of humor about yourself. I got to be honest earlier in my, career and my activism, I thought, no, no, I don't want to make fun of the environmental stuff. It's too precious, it's too and that was a mistake Mm -hmm. on my part. They had a wonderful episode of Friends years before that. And I declined to do it, not because I didn't want to make fun of myself, but I just thought the environmental stuff I don't want to that you can take yourself too seriously in any way. And that's one of them. You know, that you can make fun of that as they did brilliantly in The Simpsons too. And as they did the episode I was not in the episode. It was still a wonderful running gag about me and my electric car, holding up yeah. traffic, going over little Canyon or something. <laughs> uh, very, oh, no, in this case, I was back east. I was friends, so I was somewhere in Jersey. I can't remember where, upstate New York, holding up traffic. Okay. Uh, but uh, it was very funny, very funny show, all of them. And you got to have a sense of humor about yourself, I, I think, and I I aspire yeah. to that.
2: Yeah. Um we're Coming up close to the close to an hour, I want to get you out of here, but I got a couple more questions. Well, not even questions, I just want to let you know. So, I mean, all the stuff that you've done when I was a kid, I got to tell you, you were the dad in Pagemaster, one of my all time favorite kids' movies. Uh, loved that movie. Thank I don't, you. do you, do you remember that
1: very well? I had a great ah. time on that with McCall Culkin. and Ms. I was gonna Harris ask played my wife, I believe. And uh, Mm -hmm. Chris Lloyd was in it. Whoopi was in it, I believe. Yep. Just an incredible. Patrick Stewart. Incredible time. Yep. The best time ever. I really enjoyed it.
2: Yeah. And also, and by the way, I don't know if anybody. So I I say this with all sincerity. I love Alf. Okay. And when I was a kid.
1: Yes. Oh, my God. That's so good to hear. Paul Fusco was a great guy, too. He did a character of Alf. He was the guy that did the puppeteering and what happened to Supply the voice for Alf. And a brilliantly funny and very smart guy. A quick story about Paul Fusco. We oh. were um, doing uh, we were doing Hollywood Squares together, and he mm-hmm. Alf was a center square, or whatever. It doesn't matter. He was a square. I was another square. And these people would come in. They would make the future contestants watch the the current show that you were taping, and then they would go in and uh, they would, you know, take part in the game and try to win money. Somehow mm-hmm. these people watching the show beforehand, before they went on, didn't get the common denominator. Me and Paul and everybody, a joke <laughs> from the writers that were funny jokes. We did a joke and then we'd answer the real answer. Here's the part I right. get wrong. Paul was never wrong. It's going to sound egocentric, <laughs> actually never, neither was I. If I would answer right. something, I, they were fairly simple questions. You know, what's the sure. planet from the sun or what have you? You know, and so that's what it would be. And we would never get it wrong. And these people kept thinking they would go, they'd listen to end and go, I disagree. Dude, Paul's never wrong. And neither am I, actually. Just get the common thread here. We're not going to try to shake it up at the end and say, uh, be a bachelor. Disagree with us, for God's sake. Very smart guy. Very funny guy, Paul Fusco. I love him.
2: Oh, that's fantastic! Uh, Yeah, I I love that you were in Project Alf because that was like uh, you know that was huge for me when I was a kid. They did they wrapped up the end of the Alf series that I that I had watched, you know, and reruns and stuff like that. And then you didn't know what happened, and then Project Alf came out, and you were the doctor that helped him. And I loved that.
1: I love being in that uh, just great, great character, great show, great people involved. I I had a ball doing it.
2: That that warms Mm -hmm. my heart that you have fond memories of that because that was really I loved that. That's so great, man. Um, and before, before you go, we ask everybody this question. I would love to um, get your take on this. We would uh, like to know if you, if you could give yourself, your younger self, at any point in time, a piece of advice, something that you know now that you'd like yourself to know, what would it be?
1: I'll answer that question in a second. But first of all, I talked about mess and Pam Greer and Lake Bell and Dak Shepherd. I did not talk about the genius from Liz Merriweather, who did New Girl and many other wonderful shows. She's a genius, oh, yes. she's the creator of the show, and I, I'm not sure if I mentioned her name, i got to say it three times, Liz Merriweather, Liz Merriweather, Liz Merriweather, she's the greatest ever. What advice okay. would I give myself as a young man? Yes. What advice I would I give myself as a young man, I'd go back and say, try to find the pain in the scene, how your character deals with pain. That's something I learned in 1993. And also, find the salad in the underwear. Do you find a very <laughs> quick story? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> the two great actors in a, a improv group called The the Committee, they had a, as most uh, of their set pieces do, they have, a, they do improv, but they have what they call set pieces, which are surefire things that always get a laugh, that started as mm-hmm. an improv and became what they call a set piece, and they do scripted, if you will, every night. That always gets a laugh. Mm-hmm. And the rest mm-hmm. is pure improv, and they really don't cheat on it. They're pure. So this one started as an improv, became a set piece, but it was starting to get stale and... Wasn't funny anymore. I think it was John right. Brent. I think it was Chris Ross, these two wonderful improv actors. This one of them said, I think Chris Ross said, Let's go next door for a second and get some salad. What we gotta go on in a minute. What are you talking about? To do this bit, which is you know not a lot of funny anymore. to The audience said, so I gotta get a salad. Took some salad from the guy quickly and he put it in his underwear. And he pulled open the pants of the other guy and he put Salad in his underwear. And they went out and did the same scene. Now, the joke is not that you could see Moisture coming out of their underwear. That's not what a side gag. There was nothing visible. But they then did the scene with Salad in their underwear. And the audience went insane with laughter. They didn't know what it was, the audience. But there are people like the guy who in the spotlight would have, what did you guys do different tonight? I don't know what the hell you were doing, but it was brilliant. It was fantastic.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. They
1: found some way to have, as a character, a salad in your underwear. Something that just gave you something different. And yeah. you were suddenly, you had something to challenge you with something. You were in a different wow. part of the universe. Salad in your underwear. Find that as an actor. That's what I tell myself.
2: Oh, that is beautiful. I will never forget that. That's incredible.
3: Next to edition you, John goes on, he's definitely going to pick up some romaine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm only going to be wearing salad. That's how I'm going to work from now on. <laughs> You'll love it. Oh my god! Thank you, dude. Thank you so so much for coming on. I really appreciated all the information you gave us, the time you spent with us. It means a lot to me, really. Thank you. Yes, likewise. Thank you so much.
1: good to meet you and talk to you. Really a pleasure.
0: Utopia tonight.